Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Stream Deck. We are here with a very special guest today. Really excited about this episode. And uh, we got the usual suspects today, Mr. Ants and Scan. How you guys doing today? Doing great. Tired. We vibing. It's been a long day, but I'm glad to be here, as always. As always, as Aaron Judge hits number 61. We right just literally always, hit the go live button. We saw it. So I'm, ha I'm happy boy. we're here. And uh, yeah, our our new guest today, um, you guys can find uh, pumping out um, awesome YouTube videos about, um, you know, various baseball content, some very obscure and some super entertaining stuff. Uh, you can also find him working with John Boy Media. He has his own podcast with uh, Jerry Blevins called Shea Station. And um, yeah, just uh, a content creator, uh, kind of a jack of all trades. So very excited to have you, Jolly. Um, is your first name Jack or was that kind of a meme? I know there was like some story about your name being said on the broadcast and I wasn't <laughs> sure I approached you. I said like, oh, hey, Jack. But I actually when I said that, I'm like, wait, is your first name really Jack or is that all just a meme? No, you nailed it. Uh, my name is Jack, uh, Jack Oliver. And then uh, when uh, Jerry texted Steve Gelbs when they were doing that segment on the uh, the broadcast, Steve just read my name wrong. So he said Jack Olive, and I think he had Olive from Jolly Olive in his brain, and now I'm Jack Olive instead. But a man of many names, I guess. Yeah, perfect, dude. And um, yeah, so I remember finding your uh, YouTube channel um, um, a while ago when you were first starting making videos, and Actually, there were some other people in the MLB The Show community that were really, like, impressed with your videos kind of from the start. So I think I started following when you only had a few thousand subscribers. And um, I'm just curious, uh, what is the inspiration to kind of getting your YouTube channel started? Kind of maybe what did you do before that? And, and uh, how did you kind of get the YouTube channel up and going? Yeah, it's uh it's kind of weird because it definitely all really came together in the pandemic when I kind of had no outside interaction going really. Um I wrote a lot in college. I was an English major uh studying to be an English teacher and still something I might come back to later in life. Mm -hmm. Um but I really loved writing screenplays and I would write a lot. I got a few published, but there kind of wasn't really an avenue to get anything published during the pandemic because Nobody had any money to give to writers or anything like that. Perfectly understandable. Yeah. Um, so my other passion outside of screenplay writing was baseball. And I never really had any friends to talk to about baseball. No friends were super into it like I was. And I thought a really good avenue to just like kind of use all that useless knowledge that I once thought was useless uh, stored up in my brain would just be writing sports articles. Uh, so the first thing i ever did was i wrote a sports article on a no hitter thrown by jonathan sanchez on the giants um it came i think two weeks before mark burley's perfect game which everybody knows the Dwayne wise catch uh hawk harrelson's call everyone knows that game nobody really remembers jonathan sanchez's no hitter because it came right before it and it wasn't a perfect game so i was like oh this is a good little topic i'll write an article mm -hmm. about this uh a company who i will not name because i don't want to bark up bad trees yep. uh took that article said that they loved it and then published without giving me credit oh, uh, no. so I was like, okay i think i'm gonna probably just be the owner of anything i create from now on mm -hmm. i don't really want to make a blog so i guess i'm gonna make a youtube channel and that's how that path kind of was created that's awesome that's uh well that sucks but yeah, so say, not awesome <laughs> <laughs> well that's awesome that it led you there it's funny because a lot of a lot of uh content creation is a lot of trial and error dude and like yeah. you you just lead up you just lead to this this place that you are currently and um you know a lot of steps along the way but um i'm just curious how um at what point were you like making videos and then all of a sudden getting contacted with John boy. Is it something that you wanted to do? Like, did you reach out to them? Did they reach out to you? Kind of how did that relationship start and uh, kind of how far along your journey were you? Yeah, no, it's um, anyone will tell you uh, who does YouTube that the first a thousand subscribers is the toughest part of it all. So yep. that was like the first three or four months of doing it, just grinding and trying to get people to check out your content, even though you have that low subscriber count and you can't really be, you know, verified as a good creator. Um, but Jimmy was a guy that I had talked to a couple times on Twitter, you know, sparingly, cause obviously 
a huge following. A bunch of people are in his DMs. Mm-hmm. Um, but they had kept an eye on what I was doing for a while because it was kind of a niche that was unfulfilled at their company and kind of just in general in the baseball sphere um, because you guys obviously crush the video game side of MLB. A lot of guys like Fuzzy and Draftneck Mark are great at recaps. Mm-hmm. Nobody was really, besides, I guess, Foolish Baseball and the guys that came out after me and him, uh, were really diving into the evergreen aspect of guys that didn't get a ton of publicity but did really interesting or crazy things and accomplished these things under the radar. Um, and I think that was something that really appealed to them as a new element they could bring to their company uh, content-wise. Um, so I think that's sort of how the partnership uh, got together. And they found me pretty early on. I think it was only at about 20,000 subscribers when I think we partnered up officially. So was there like a formal interview? Did you come in and get dressed up and, you know, and ask hard questions and all that? Or was it kind of like a mutual agreement? Like, uh, yeah, this is this is good for both of us. Yeah, the the process of it was actually pretty funny because now we have the, the glamour of the Manhattan office and a lot of mm-hmm. em- employees and different departments and stuff like that. Uh, when I first got hired, I think the team was probably 12 to 15 people. Mm-hmm. Um, the office was in the Bronx. It was two little dinky apartments, uh, very, very small, probably the size of one of your bedrooms times two. Um, and the contract that I signed was about half a page long with no <laughs> intricate jargon or anything like that because these guys were fans just like me and still really getting their feet under them and figuring out the expansion process of John Boy Media. So I was really happy to be in on the ground floor and deal with the genuinity of that entire process because I knew I wasn't you know, going to get bamboozled or anything because these guys had very similar goals to the goals that I had. Mm-hmm. Um, and then since then, obviously, the whole thing has skyrocketed and they're still doing a fantastic job in that expansion process. It's obviously a little bit more formal now, a little bit more uh, professional. And I don't want to say that they weren't professional because I, I loved my days in the Bronx. Just definitely a, a different environment and atmosphere mm-hmm. compared to where we are now. I'm just curious what that energy was in that those small, small rooms. And like, was it like really, did you guys like feed off the energy? Like did that inspire you to like go harder into YouTube and all that? Or yeah, I mean, like? um, there's, I constantly joke that, uh, with the new people where they don't know a certain thing from the Bronx office or a certain person, I'll be like, Oh yeah, I forgot. You're one of the newbies. You don't really know, you know, the culture back then. Um, but it was just a, a group of like 12, like a dozen grinders who <laughs> loved to work on what they worked on. And everybody, like you said, fed off each other and wanted to outdo one another and create as much as possible because we had such a dedicated fan base that was willing to try whatever we wanted to try. And that's how like the Bino live stream started out. That's how we created a, a gaming tournament with an old NES baseball game that a bunch of people really loved. Um, and then obviously what the, all the things that we were doing in the first place to begin with. Um, and that I think was a really good way to gauge who else would fit into that sphere, uh, into like our kind of, you know, fun loving culture. Uh, cause the thing they always say, uh, is fun over funny. I think the, the, the gist, the main goal of John Boy Media and all their content is to just have as much fun as possible and make sure that your audience is having as much fun as you are. Uh, and I think that was all birthed in the Bronx office for sure. Wow. That's yeah, that's, that's really good. Um, uh... I it just I I am thinking back to what you're saying at the beginning, um, how you were what an English major and trying to get get that off up and going, and then all of a sudden you make this transition into making videos, and then it's kind of funny. Our uh, one of our last episodes, uh, we had a dude's a dude who works for Momentum, and just talking about his story, um, is also super inspirational, and I'm I'm sure there's some uh, parallels to it, but I'm just curious, like how those conversations went with, uh, maybe like friends and family of like, you know, I'm kind of jumping ship and, you know, I I'm, I'm, you know, going into this new field and, um, you know, surrounded by all these great people. And, um, I'm just curious if there was any pushback or anything like that. And kind of that upcoming. Yeah, I mean, you know, there are a bunch of family members that still don't really understand what I do. I have an uncle that thinks I'm on WFAN doing radio, <laughs> and I kind of—I've explained so many times that I kind of just whenever he says it, I go, "Yep, I'm on—I'm on, I'm on yeah. the radio." Yeah, just catch me at that slot. No, I mean, uh, my parents were incredibly receptive, so God bless their hearts for sure. Because 
I think without them kind of pushing me more towards it, I don't think I would have followed through to the extent that I did. Mm -hmm. um, but the main thing that I, I just told everybody was I was writing as much as I could. And I think that's what I was trying to do from the beginning, whether it was as a teacher or as an unsuccessful play playwright or what have you. Um, I just wanted to make writing a part of my career. And I think that I, I accomplished that in some facet. But I definitely think there was some pushback because – I was one semester away from starting grad school, and then all of a sudden I made this complete 180 into a completely different field, and I did it you know, in the confines of my own home, not being interacting with anybody else because it was the mm -hmm. pandemic. Um, so it's very easily a decision I probably would not have made if the pandemic hadn't happened and I was still going through the motions of everyday life. Um, but sometimes these things just kind of fall into your lap, and you, know, you take a hard left turn when you weren't expecting it because... It turns out there probably wasn't nothing and there wasn't anything in front of you in the first place. Um, so I'm very happy that the, the change came about in the way that it did. But to say that it was seamless would be uh, a lie. Mm -hmm. and it's, yeah, it's, my, yeah, my ahead, way was definitely very similar. Like when I, when I was going into content creation, wanting to go full time, I just started grad school, do math teaching. Yeah, I was about a semester, two semesters in. And then I, I jumped ship to do videos and explain to family and all that. Like, hey, I don't want to do this thing anymore. We're doing this thing. And, like, especially when they don't understand what it means yep. to be a YouTuber or create content and all that you're doing, it's it's something brand new. And they're like, okay. But having those family members support it and recognize you doing what you want to do is what really drives us to to make you want to do this. You having the, that support system of jumping into that is what makes you drive – gives you that drive to want to do it because if you don't, then, you yeah. know, it's just like – are you going to really how comfortable are you doing something when those close to you don't want you to do that thing so yeah, i think it's a gets, big part it of it it's very easy for them to support it when the results actually start to come in they're like yep. oh okay like you know what you're doing yeah <laughs> exactly so many times i mean i know i mean i can speak for myself i you know i think scam was in a similar position so many times whenever that leap happens you look back on it now and it's like dude i was not I, I probably shouldn't yeah. have done that. Like, it worked out, but, like, looking back on the time when I did, I probably wasn't ready to, like, make this massive leap. I probably shouldn't have, you know, like, thinking about it critically, looking back on it. And, yeah. like, that's what makes it a leap of faith in the first place. Yep. Like, obviously, there are varying degrees of a leap of faith. You know, we're still doing ours from sort of a safe place. Um, but still, you know, it's kind of abandoning a plan because anyone who goes into content creation knows that, part of the plan is that there's no guarantee that you'll succeed at it. And the more people join, the more saturated the market becomes and the harder it is for you to, to find your avenue and succeed. But at the same time, if you don't take the leap, it's never going to happen. So you might as well just try. And it's funny how many stories are very similar, like with us streamers. It's like the pandemic really kind of made that transition a little easier for a lot of people to go full time. And, uh, you know, when you're stuck at home with nothing to do, it makes this sort of thing a lot easier to do, you know? Right. Right. Yeah. At one point I was making uh, three videos a week, which I will never go back to because that was so, so much writing and so much work, but it was also like so brand new and I was trying to appeal to as many fan bases as possible. And I think that was the, the main ticket because the whole point of succeeding early is you have to just grind your ass off and get as much out there as possible um and i know that quantity over quality isn't always the best philosophy to live by uh, but when you're trying to diversify your palette and appeal to as many people as possible uh, that is an avenue you kind of have to just go through unfortunately it's kind of funny um because these guys up here put crank out three videos easily a week and yeah. uh yeah. it's yeah, just it's, funny how different things are from that aspect Wow. Yeah, it's so it's so interesting. We talk to so many different people on here and especially like in our space of doing video game content and especially on like MLB the show that we do, there's so much value in like basically daily content uploading basically right. each day. Which is and whoa. and it's crazy because like there are other like in other scopes, like in your in your scope of things, three was a lot. And like I absolutely get it because I, I understand the process behind writing a story and compiling all the footage that you're gonna be using in a video. And all that, I bet it's like so much more work when for a lot of us, you know, like our work is hey, let's just play a game, chop it up and <laughs> boom, there's a video. But it's, it's so interesting because every different space of content has a different like amount of work that goes into it. And I think it's so interesting because a lot of people think there's just one path to it. You know, I see 
maybe me who uploads like daily and you're like, oh, I'm going to do the exact same thing when something like you, that's like a few times a week at most. So right. it's, and like, it, it, that's the beauty. That's the beautiful part of it is that there's no one cookie cutter way to find success. And the people that succeed the most are the ones that kind of uh, are intuitive in the way that they go about it and find a new niche of their own. And I definitely, you know, took influence from a lot of people, but I, I knew that storytelling was the thing that I was best at. If I would try to be a Twitch streamer, I would not be entertaining at all. I don't have the energy capacity. I'm not good at video games and I don't have um, the drive to edit videos at that speed, you know, three times a week and different people are good at different things. And that's what I think is so beautiful about our Avenue at, in terms of baseball and just sports in general, because there's some similarities between them, but yeah. Yeah, speaking of which, I, I like how I mentioned the storytelling because it's actually going to be one of the questions I had to ask you because, I mean, especially like in like someone who is in your space, things like I like learning more about that storytelling and trying to tell a story and a narrative in the videos because a lot of people in our space, we just we play a game and there's the video. It is what it yeah. is. But I, I think the process of like compiling a story and like telling that in a video is so interesting. I've looked into it so much the last few years and like studying other creators and such. So I guess what I want to ask you is like, what's that storytelling process like for you? Like, do you have like a, a focus, like what, like a general strategy you follow for each video or a focus of what you're trying to tell in each story? Um, because I think it's, I think it's interesting to think about what that process of making a video is like, because for a lot of us, that's very foreign to us. We kind of just go at the it game day in, the day story. out. Game you play is a yeah. story, basically. You know? so, yeah. Right. You kind of make it up as you go, basically, with us. Because, like, the, the way that you guys make videos, there is still a story entailed there, and it's it's told through the, the, the title and the thumbnail of, like, what is the challenge for today's video, or, like, what are we mm -hmm. trying to achieve? That is a story in of itself, and there, there is a definite, mm -hmm. definite merit to that. Um, with, with me, it's always just about trying to fi find a concrete beginning, middle and end, because I think that stories that have ambiguous endings or unfinished endings are the ones that usually leave people with like sour tastes in their mouth. Um, so the ones I try to find, you know, I, I it varies from emotional stories to purely stat based stuff and like anomalies and stuff like that. Um, but I always try to find, um, some sort of narrative because I feel like that's part of that's a big reason why people like sports in the first place is because they can really come to life out of nowhere and you can you know really find affection or even hatred for just somebody who's out there trying to do their profession and i think with baseball there's this large black hole of non-media coverage from like the mid 2000s to like the mid 2010s where mlb was really bad at marketing their game and there were no real new stars produced from the game once the wave of the steroid era kind of went away. And that was a perfect kind of crop like field for me mm -hmm. to kind of just go in and investigate and find guys from that uh, probably should have gotten more spotlight and kudos than they did in their time. And when you find those guys, if, whether it's from their baseball reference or people just writing various articles about them, um, those stories just kind of reveal themselves naturally, which I think is really cool. And also it makes what i do much simpler and you know the the writing process becomes a little bit more seamless uh by proxy and i think that the guys like foolish that are able to dig up these crazy stats and these crazy likenesses between these players and stuff like that that is far more impressive but it's also different and i think what we all do is different and that's what makes it great yeah it's funny absolutely you i like that. that because um yeah i mean the mariners sucked pretty much my whole life but I mean, I really don't, I, I became a huge baseball fan from like, you know, like the early two, like maybe 2001 when the Mariners were good, uh, up until like maybe middle school. And then there was like a huge drop off where like, I didn't really care at all. I don't know. Maybe it was like the, you know, the steroid era, like coming to an end and all that. And they just kind of didn't know how to pivot, but yeah, that's, I never even thought of that. Yeah. Up. But um, I am curious uh, to move on. Um, you uh, have a podcast yourself uh, with uh, Jerry Blevins, who's an ex-pitcher. And I have a lot of questions about the podcast. But the first one I want to know is uh, how did that relationship start with Jerry? And uh, kind of when did you guys decide that this is like something that you guys should do? Was it like brought on by the company or is it? you know, more organic from your guys, like just love for the Mets in general, or how'd that kind of start? 
Yeah. So um, when I first got hired, the the deal in the contract was we want to you know put sponsorships on your videos, but we also want you to create your own IP as well. Uh, and my obvious first choice was to create a Mets podcast just because that was the team that I was most familiar with on a day-to-day basis. They were super into that because it's a, it's a New York sports company. It makes sense to corner another New York market. Uh, and they asked for a list of co-hosts that I desired. And I was like, oh, oh do you guys want like another content creator? And they were like, no, wait, we're going to reach out to former athletes and see if anybody's interested, uh, which was exciting, but also like, whoa, to me, because I had just yeah. begun doing this less than a year ago and now I was going to go do this very very official thing with somebody who had played the game um the top of my list was jerry blevins because i had seen his work on us on why i knew that he was very easygoing i knew that you know he had kind of like a weird to say but a, a younger person's mind on his shoulders even though he was from a different generation and funnily enough uh, and this is something that i still find so crazy to this day when I handed them my list and the the I, the name for the show and the concept for the show and the structuring of that and then the co-host that I had in mind, uh, Jerry's agent, a guy named Gideon, reached out to John Blue Media that day asking if there were any opportunities available at the company for something that Jerry could do. Wow. So it kind of just paired up perfectly. <laughs> um, the part that was less perfect was that we started doing the show in August of last year, which is the precise moment where the Mets decided to bottom out <laughs> yeah. and completely fall out of first place. <laughs> um, so our first 10 or 15 episodes were all over Zoom. Uh, we had never met before, and we were covering a team that absolutely stunk. Um, so it was a lot of adversity at first, but I think it was probably a good thing because it kind of made me a little bit better at it. It was a little bit of like a baptism by fire kind of thing. And then when we finally linked up in the Bronx and then later on in Arizona, uh, that's when we really started to hit our stride and really get to know each other well and actually become friends rather than just, you know, work co-hosts. And I think the show this year has improved a mile because of that. And of course the team being good makes it a lot easier to cover. Um, but yeah, it was just a, a mutual admiration for the team. Jerry played with them for a while. Uh, had a good relationship with ownership and stuff like that. And just called the Mets game last night, actually. He still works mm-hmm. with SNY. Um, that. So the, the, the passion for the team is there for both of us. And I, I think it's, once again, a thing of just the stars completely aligning at the right time for me uh, that everything has worked out to this point. Um, I don't want to say, like, did you ever regret doing it at that time? But it just seems like, like looking back on the past year you've had, like starting during that time where things were just so crazy and the mess just fell apart. And I'm sure like maybe there were days where you didn't want to cover the team, right? I mean, me, I'm just oh, yeah. from my point of view, yes. how I would feel yes. Um, to right now where the, I mean, Mets are going through whatever they're going through right now. But like the year in general has been a huge success and it seems like they have a really good team, stacked team. The ownership seems like ready to go all in. And I'm just curious, like the contrast between the two years. Yeah, it's uh, it's like night and day um, because I started YouTube in 2020 and I, you know, I've been watching the Mets since the, the late 2000s. So I've watched plenty of bad teams and bad on, uh, bad ownership uh, regimes. And it is so wonderful to be covering the team for the first time this year because it's arguably the second best year in the entire franchise's history. Um, and I, I just feel really, really lucky that they're they're acting like a New York market team and spending money like a New York market team would um, because it does make my job a lot easier, thankfully. But also, <laughs> I, I think it, it's helped me strive to try and be better at what I do, research more in depth, try and become more personable, get to know the players a lot more. Uh, that was a big part of it, too, that I, I think I was probably not ready for when we went to Arizona and L.A. was actually just meeting players and talking to them and acting like you belong amongst them was definitely a, a culture shock for me because you meet these guys and they're, you know, Greek god athletes. They're so tall. They're so ripped. And, like, you're just kind of, like, short, stout, 23-year-old standing next to them. Like, hey, I make videos on the Internet about, you know, guys <laughs> like you. Um, and it, took, it definitely took a while. But uh, after, you know, meeting Jerry and meeting all those guys – and just realizing they're also human beings too. Uh, it makes every facet of it completely easier. So I think since that point, the show has improved because I finally gotten over the fact like that's Jerry Blevins. I used to watch that guy when I was growing up and now it's that's Jerry Blevins. That's my friend. We do a show together. So kind of how did you get over that imposter system or uh, syndrome if you if you did feel that at all cuz I definitely wouldn't even interacting yeah. with some of these guys and you know the people we've brought on I'm like it's just it's crazy to be in the same room and talking with them and 
sometimes I just have to remind myself that, you know, we all start somewhere. So I think that's it. Yeah. I, I don't think the imposter syndrome has fully gone away either. Yeah. Like uh, we, I had 50,000 this year and that's a, that's a fuckload of people. That's I still can't believe that number is real. Um, and it's hard to feel like you belong because you kind of don't really have a blueprint to follow when you're doing this stuff. You're kind of just carving out your own niche and hoping that it's something that people like. Um, I don't know if it'll ever go away. And I, I, I think that's probably a good thing because I don't ever want to feel like I, I deserve or am entitled to any of this. I want it to feel earned and something that I have to continuously work for because I think that'll keep me and other creators that feel that way at the top of their game, producing the best content possible and, you know, being the most genuine kind of creator they can be. Yeah, I think it's a good point, actually. Like, I mean, we talk about it a bit on the podcast for, but like kind of like not really feeling complacent or anything. It's like it's a theme from a lot of people like that no matter what, they don't feel complacent with where they're at or how they view themselves. They just kind of keep going. And I think it's a, a common trait amongst a lot of content creators that grow is that I mean, even though you do want to look back and reflect, like you said, hitting 50K is crazy, and it's, you, you celebrate those things, and you're, you're proud of those things, but it's also like, it's also some, sometimes too surreal to even think about it when you reflect upon it and, and all that, and you think about how much more you can keep going, you just, you can never get complacent. So I think it's a, it's a common trend we see with a lot of people is just not really looking back and taking themselves too seriously or where they're at too seriously, and they just kind of keep at what they're doing good. Right, yeah. I, I never want to feel like like I, I'm a celebrity creator. I, I belong with the best. But I also always want to take my craft as seriously as possible. And I think uh, one of the, the biggest things when I started there was that the, the company offered me editor help, writer help, video collecting footage help. And for Jolly Off stuff, I rejected it all because I wanted to continue to stay as my process, something that I had full creative control over, uh, and they were totally for that. Um, but they also were like, oh, are you sure? Like, because we have people that are <laughs> willing and capable and they can help. And I think part of uh, that was I don't ever want to get lazy. I don't want to get complacent and feel like, oh, somebody else will do that for me and I'll, I'll slack off this week. Uh, because, you know, there, there's the off season for that for sure. But also, like, I, it's kind of a, it's a motivator in of itself, I think. I think that's really cool. Because it is not easy to do all that, by the way, like, um, I, I am not much into YouTube, but I know Scan and Ants, you know, they, you know, have thrown everything at the wall and see, uh, have seen what has stuck. And, um, just to say that you do it all, do you still do everything on your own then I'm assuming? Or uh, I do have a, a sound editor because I absolutely hate editing sound, but everything else is fine. <laughs> That's fair. Yeah. Sound, I mean, sound in general is just so confusing to deal with. Ass, yeah, dude. I hate Adobe Audition. I hate it so much. I think there's a lot of value in that, though, especially, you know, I know a lot of times myself, whenever, I, whenever I've put in that extra effort into a, a piece of content that I know I could have also had help with, for yeah. some reason, like, those always seem to perform better as well, because it's like you, you, nobody's going to care more about our content than ourselves at the end of the day, like, regardless of, you know, whoever you find and however much passionate they're about it, like, nobody's going to care more than yourself. Exactly. And you want it to be something that you would watch if you were not that person or if you were not the person. Because, like, it's, trust me, it's hard to watch my own content and listen to my own voice. And I try to do it as little as possible, except for, like, the editing process itself. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I don't have, when I have a week where I, I kind of, like, am a little bit less effort wise or not on top of my game and I make something that is complete but not the best it can be, you know, that, that does itch at you a little bit going forward, even when you try to start the process for the next video. And it kind of, for me personally, it creates like a little chip on my shoulder. Like, all right, this week I need to be better because last week I wasn't as good than I could have been. It must be hard though. I assume like you have a lot on your schedule. I know um, you guys do a lot of collaborative things uh, like the warehouse games and all that with John Boy. And you got your podcast now and you're making videos. So I'm just curious how you kind of balance all of that. Are there like, did, do people have specific days for you to come in kind of like how did how does all that work yeah so the the jolly elf schedule has not changed too much since i started it's always like script writing and recording on monday and then the editing process for pretty much the rest of the week and just kind of doing whatever i feel like doing at the time uh in terms of like the checklist for editing chase station is kind of just you do it when the mets end a series and you recap and you preview the next one that one was 
self-explanatory. But um, everything else in the John Blaine Media office between the warehouse, the new entertainment channel, the gaming channel, guests featuring on podcasts, when you go into the office, it's kind of just like be ready to be available because somebody might pull you at any second, which is really fun, but also like, shit, if I'm trying to do work, like I, I kind of want to do work right now. Um, and it's, it's a great office culture where everybody wants to help everybody. And like you said, at the top, everybody feeds off everybody. Um, so I think you, you're always kind of on your toes, like ready to be on camera for something, which is fun. And also definitely something that was out of my wheelhouse a year ago. And now something I'm much more comfortable with. And in the same vein, people who are making content are at our company have come to me for advice and have learned things from me the same way that I've learned from them, which I think is really, really cool. Yeah, I'm just curious what, what some of those things are that you've learned throughout your journey, like especially like at the beginning and, you know, kind of grown to, you know, like you said, 50,000. I'm sure the, the podcast is, I know it's doing very well too. So I'm just curious some of the things that you've passed on to other people other than what we've talked about already as far as like scripting and all that goes. Yeah, I mean, anyone who's trying to make content, I always recommend writing something first. I know a couple guys that, kind of just have ad libs and they, they make their videos that way. And that works for some people. And that's, that's great. Um, in terms of what I've learned from other people in terms of just being on camera is you don't, you shouldn't ever try to be funny or try to be charismatic. You kind of just have to be yourself mm -hmm. and lean into the people around you and, you know, try to build chemistry that way. Because I think when I first joined, you know, I had the people that were fans of mine that came and supported me through that content. But I also had people that had never watched me before didn't know who I was and then were off put by something I said or something I did. And that was me trying to be showy and trying to be something of a spectacle, a spectacle on camera. And I think now I've gotten to the point where it's kind of just like, I'm part of the group. Like I'm accepted. There are people that really root for me and you have to really focus on the positivity over the negativity because there's always both. Uh, and the negativity is much more easy to remember. Um, but at the same time, you kind of just have to be yourself to an extent. And that's a scary thing to accept, especially when you're in the content world. And the way that I got into it was just my voice, never really my face. Um, so I think that was a, a, an interesting pill to swallow going forward. But I think it's something I've grown much more accustomed to now. What's kind of your your favorite, your memory, favorite memory or the memory you go back to since you kind of started this journey with John Boy? really good question honestly um it's been a lot of good ones i mean it's it's been so all over the place and crazy i think the the game where we went behind home plate uh sponsored by amtrak we did like a little vlog mm. for them at city field mm -hmm. uh and i was sort of like twitter friends with the sny producer john demarsico so he made an effort to make sure that me and jerry got on camera during the broadcast and a bunch of my friends who were never really into baseball, like I had mentioned before, uh, had become Mets fans this year because of what I did. And they were all watching and they were all like, that's my friend on TV. That's crazy. And people knew who I was and were tweeting at me. And that's how like the Jack Olive thing happened after and stuff mm -hmm. like that. And it's just kind of people, you know, even though I'm just a, a 23 year old kid and there are older people that have been doing this for years and years, I'm still somewhat of a respected member of the community which i think is really cool because i'm i wasn't even having a thought of doing this two years ago and now i've gotten to a place where people value my opinions and value my takes and stuff like that which i think is scary obviously because you know say one wrong thing and people are going to come after you but at the same time it's very very cool that i can be something of a influential figure i think it just goes to show like it's just the work that you put in and there's a lot of people that we've come across that you know, you can sense that genuine just love for the game and love for making videos and content and all that. And it, it comes across and it's really easy to pick up. And so I think it's just kind of how, how it goes when you're being, you know, you're putting in a lot of work. You're being genuine about things and like, you know, you just keep pushing. And that le just leads me to my next question. Like, what? What is that next goal for you? Like, I know probably everything that's happened is probably way more than you could have ever expected. And you may have had to shift your, your sights a little bit, but I'm just curious what is next for you? Yeah, it's so interesting because I, I you kind of, you, you don't want your brain to be like, okay, the next goal will be 100,000 subscribers. Mm -hmm. And after that, 200,000, because those are number-based goals and those never end because content goes on forever and ever. there is no end to the race here um but i think the the main goal and the kind of the uniform goal of the company at least things have changed a little bit recently but 
is to just get more people into the sport. I, I've always loved this sport. Uh, this team has frustrated me to no end, obviously, but I still love them. Um, but I think it's it's so great. And, you know, we had to deal with baseball being, quote unquote, dead for so many years that this year has been such a fantastic year for the sport. And it really goes to show that with the effort put into by the community um, that a lot of things can change and a lot of a lot more people can get into a game that would be considered an old man traditional sport that is on its way out. And I think that's really, really cool. So even if I only gain, you know, one more subscriber till the end of time while making my videos, as long as those videos are reaching people and people are discovering stories that they didn't know about before because of me, uh, that is the main goal. And there is no way to, to gauge that goal either or show that you're making progress in it. You just kind of have to keep doing it and hope that it works. Yeah, I, I think that's uh... – I like that mentality a lot because a lot of what a lot of people's vision of getting into content creating, we're all looking at numbers like, oh, let's get to this sub count. Let's get this amount of likes on each video and such. But really for a lot of people that are really... overload. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so many. And a lot of people are into it to the point where they just have a goal in mind of like what they're trying to do with their content. Like, for me, I love educating people about MLB The Show right. and stuff like that. And for a lot of people, it comes down to that. And I think that's the thing that's very cool because when that's your focus and you make that the goal of your content, then that's usually the thing that helps people the most. A lot of times people get into it. And, like, for Twitch, for example, when you're getting into Twitch to get an affiliate where you start earning sub revenue, you got to average a certain amount of viewers and all that. And the right, first thing you right. see are numbers and getting yes. these numbers. And everyone makes that their goal. When really a lot of the goal should be coming up with like what you're going to provide people in your content, like what your goal is. It's a great mentality to have because a lot of people have it warped, especially at the start. And a common thing we hear from people who are on here about the goals of their content is that, you know, they're bringing some sort of value to people in their content. So I, I think it's a great vision to have with it. Yeah. And it's tough to define what the value is and not lose sight of it over time. But I think I'm still so young into it that, and the Mets just tied the game. Sorry, I got really distracted there. That was a huge fucking head. I fucking love Eduardo Escobar, man. Oh, no worries, dude. Last last uh, podcast, uh, Pujols hit both his home runs, and we just like literally like stopped all. We dropped everything for 15 minutes. (laughs) Yeah, we just ranted on it. We stopped the conversation, just talked about how great Pujols is and all that. So. And it's, uh, I don't blame you guys at all. I mean, Judge hit 61 like right before we went live. That would have been bad yep. if he hit it like right now. <laughs> he, did, he didn't hit 62. I mean, 62 just now. He just grounded out. So we Thank don't God. have to freak out about that right now, he's, at least. He's respecting the stream. I respect yeah. him for that. Yeah. 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 Exactly. <laughs> so, um, did, what, who introduced you to the Mets? Like, where, where did your baseball fandom start? Like how old were you? Yeah, my uh, my fandom started probably in 2006, which was a notably good year for the Mets. Um, and you guys are probably familiar with the collapses of 07 and 08. My first year that I remember consciously following the team and remembering players' names and knowing stats and stuff was 2009 because it was the first year at City Field. My dad, who had gotten me into the Mets, was so disgusted with the team that he was out on them. And I was like, well, somebody's got a root for the Mets in the house. I'll do it. <laughs> um, and they were horrendously bad that year. Yeah. Everyone got injured. There was a bunch of journeymen, no names. But I think that the fact that guys like Jeremy Reed and Corey Sullivan and Mike Pelfrey and all these random big leaguers we're getting regular playing time from the Mets, and that was my first team ever. Is the reason about what I do today because all yeah. the guys that I cover in my videos are these obscure players. Not so much anymore, but definitely a handful of my videos are about guys that did not accomplish much in their major league career aside from one special thing. And I love being able to take that one special thing and turn it into an entire 10 minute biography about that guy. And I think that really stems from the first season I had watching the Mets were. 30-year-old no-names who had spent most of their time in AAA. One of the guys I actually played was Mike Hessman, who was the minor league home run record holder. And mm-hmm. he was one of the first players I ever watched to play major league baseball, which I thought was really funny. Um, but I think they really molded that part of my baseball fandom into me, which I think is cool. So how does it come full circle? Like, how do you feel that now, like, broadcasters are, like, calling you Jack Olive and stuff? Just, like, <laughs> looking back at all that. 
it's <laughs> it's bizarre and you know you like i said imposter syndrome from before you know you're never going to mm-hmm. truly feel like you belong and stuff like that um but the established figures of the community that have, have shown me even a shred of respect I, i've valued to no end um and it's it's definitely surreal because it's been a decade-long journey to get here a journey that you know, I wasn't grinding the whole time, but I was definitely stocking up baseball knowledge along the way, just recreationally for fun, mm-hmm. because it's what I really love to do. And I think it's it's cathartic because I never really thought I would get to do something that I absolutely love to do. And I, I think I would have been a good teacher and found a love for it eventually, but I never really felt like my heart was super into it. It was just something I was doing to get a job and participate in the real world like an adult. Um, but I think this coming along has made me to be a, a very happy human being which I didn't know if it was going to be entirely possible with the the avenue I was heading towards. Um, so I think more than anything else, I just feel very, very like blessed and lucky to be able to do something that I love. I think it's funny. I think most people that were are destined to be teachers actually make great content creators because <laughs> scan, there's some kind of pipeline there. There's scan kind of was supposed to be one too. And a good friend of ours, Thuni, who makes videos yep. too. Yep. He's, he is an amazing content creator, so I don't know what I don't know what the magic formula is, but I mean, if you guys like want to become a teacher, like just know that content creation is also an avenue. So just think <laughs> twice, guys. All right, you never know what you might be good at. Yeah, <laughs> just remember, sprint away from that career that you're trying to pursue and become a content creator. <laughs> no, don't do that, please. Be smart about decisions you make. Uh, but it's so funny that you talk about like how. Once you like meet up with everyone that, you know, like Jerry and all that, it like internalizes like or like strengthens the bond and all that. And like it it's the same way with like when I meet all these guys too. It just like it inspires like not only do you confirm everything, all the long conversations that you've had with each other and all that, but it just like almost inspires you to like keep going and keep pushing because you know that there's someone on the other side too that can relate to you. So yeah, and like I, I got to meet Bailey when he came to the office. I got to meet um guys like Mark and James who are awesome. They do the Met Stuff podcast. Mm-hmm. I met uh Fuzzy and Shelfie in LA and it's really, really cool because they all share the exact same passion with different energies, which I think is really interesting because those different energies are their own brands and people come to them for those brands because different kinds of fans love different kinds of fans. And I think that's really, really a cool part about sports content creation in general. Like people come to me for a story but people go to foolish for stats they've never learned before. And people go to fuzzy to find out what happened yesterday. And people go to you guys to find out what's new with the game and what else they can do in the game. And it's just the, the bound, the boundaries are kind of endless in that way. It's just really cool to have you on because we usually get a lot of like MLB streamers and stuff like that, just like that mainly make MLB the show videos. And like, it's just such a fresh perspective. Um, And, you know, there's a lot of similarities too, you know? So, yeah, thanks. Absolutely. But um, let's see, what else do we want to talk about? Um, I'm just curious how, um, it's been just kind of like all like the off the wall type stuff. Like you said, you come into the office and like, you don't know what you're going to do. Like, are you like down to do anything? Like what, what kind of, what is that like environment is like everyone on that, that same kind of mindset and um, kind of, have you done anything that like you definitely were not like ready to do, but like you ended up like loving it and maybe inspired like, something else that you've done yeah absolutely i mean we we had a meeting this week where everybody who is an on-camera personality brought five ideas for future content even if they Mm. were bad everybody brought something and i think that's 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 why the company continues to run like a well-oiled machine is that um we're always trying to do different things we're always trying to expand the uh, the horizon of what the company can be i think to answer your question about stepping outside my comfort zone it was definitely blitzball uh because i'm not an athlete by any means, I was playing against guys that really knew how to fucking throw that thing. And, you know, I kind of looked like a doofus doing it in the first place. But also, that weekend itself was awesome because I got to meet all of these John Boy Media uh, company people and really bond with them. And, you know, I got to carve out my own meme from it, which I absolutely loved as well, the mm-hmm. 0 for 7. Yeah. Um, 
and <laughs> it made me far more comfortable to continue doing warehouse stuff and blitzball battle 2 is on its way spoiler alert uh it's awesome and it's a really good time <laughs> and i think that just being in a competitive field with actual competitors and athletes uh would be something that i would, would have never felt comfortable doing when i first started out uh doing youtube but it just goes to show you how you know to be successful in this field you have to roll with the punches and you have to evolve and do what is asked of you sometimes even if it's something that makes you a little bit you know uncomfortable in some way and i think that the company's really good at protecting people and like not you know not putting you in a position to get hated on or laughed at or anything like that but at the same time you know they they want you to participate in everything they want it to be a, a unit they want it to be a group effort at all times and i think that's that's really beautiful I think it's funny you bring up Blitzball because yeah, we got dragged at the Blitzball earlier in the year. Like we oh, we boy. messed around with it for a couple videos, and like we we were all like, okay, it should be fun. And then we started, we're like, this is incredible. Like, this is mad fun strike, to play. It's so much fun now. I've gotten yeah. a lot better at it now, and I have a lot more fun with it. We kind of we go on Thursdays to the warehouse and just drink beer and play. And that I can actually fun. pitch now and hit now, but like. Yeah. Doing that was my first experience with Blitzball, like facing like, fucking Trevor Plouffe, Joe Blevins. Oh, yeah, people. no I was, shot. I didn't stand a fucking chance, dude. Come on. Well, you at least you had like a mile per hour like limiter, right? At least, so yeah. They weren't like had, I think blowing it past 72. you. Yeah, regular Blitzball, they don't have a speed limit, which I think uh -huh. is insane. Now this, yeah, yeah. Scan can tell you he went to like some Blitzball World Series. Yeah, thing. I was at the Blitzball World Series to do it. Get all the best Blitzball yeah, players around yeah, the country, yeah. and um, we we played against we played against some dudes in uh they were called Swisher Baseball League, and oh, all the dudes that, that yeah, played against them, like this one dude, he's a lefty. He's he got he touched a hundred with ridiculous. the Blitzball. <laughs> like that, that, if that hits you, that hurts. That yeah, that's it's, genuine it, pain. Yeah, they're getting thrown gas, and a lot of them, it's their first time even playing it. Like, I was watching from the sidelines. I'm like, okay, glad I'm not playing because, like, I would look like an idiot out there. Yeah, I, it, need to like, be out there. I got nothing to prove. Yeah, it's 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 tough, man. Like, if, if you guys watch the videos, but then go out there and try to play it, two completely different things. Like, that it's so thing. difficult. Like, people in the chat, and, you know, bless the chat because they really stocked up in the and, you know, field of view count and really showed up for Blitzball Battle. But at the same time, they definitely think it's like wiffle ball and that it's yeah. easy and it's fucking not. It's no. really hard. <laughs> yeah, and that bat is not very forgiving either. No, not at all. It's it's much shorter than people think it is. Yeah, scan struck me out, and I don't think I'll ever hear the end of it. No and then and then we had a then we had a clip of you bat flipping a walk. Yes, like you you bat flipped the, a walk. Blitzball walk bat flip. But it just, just yeah. that's how intense it was getting, dude. That is just so much. It fun. was. It was so intense, but it was it was so fun, man. Like I I want to make sure we do that again at some point. Get all the guys together. We's gotta uh, sling some blitz balls again. It's it's Absolutely. fun content to make. Absolutely. Yeah, I think we will be doing that next week. We're all going yeah. down to San Diego, so. Good for you. Eight days away. Yeah, I know. All right, eight days. Yep, eight yep. days. I'm very excited. Yeah, it should be fun, man. Good shit. All right. Um, I'm. What an action-packed time it's been. Like we've covered a lot here. Yeah, we already like, did. It's, like an it, it's been like constantly rolling. I love it. We have some podcasts where we just ramble on for yeah. like 10, 20 minutes at a time, but we <laughs> we were efficient. This. I'm, I'm proud out. of us. I'm proud we're, of us. We're a bunch of grinders. That's what we get done. Come I'm on. proud of us. Come on. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I don't really. I mean, I feel like I've asked like everything. I'm just. I've. I've always been so curious about. Um. Well, not only like I think your videos are like super unique and like I'm. I just always wanted to know kind of how you came about like, you know, just formulating everything. I'm curious, it, what is there like a favorite video of yours that you go back? You're like, wow, this this is this I I really love this one. This is my prize possession. It's like picking one of my children. Uh, I I usually don't. It's kind of weird to say. I usually I don't really love a lot of the ones that have like the most views. Um, mm -hmm. I do one of my favorites that actually did get a lot of views is um, the video on Rymaltopia, which I thought was. I feel like I kind of I snaked that away from other creators because it was a really good idea. And I was like, no one's done this yet. This is great. Mm -hmm. And the reason why I really love that one is because somebody screenshotted uh, Baseball Savant the day after 
and they track uh, if somebody, if a player is getting searched a lot more, and it'll, it'll show with like emojis and like a percentage. And Rymeltopia was up like four hundred percent with like a couple fire emojis, and I was like, "That's because of me." Now people yeah, care that, about this guy. Let's that's go. super cool. Yeah. Um, but I think my favorite is definitely about uh, R. A. Dickey, who is probably my favorite player of all time because his story. Uh, it's incredibly emotional. It's a, it it's a very triumphant uh, underdog story. Uh, he dealt with a lot of uh, assault when he was younger, uh, grew up very poor, uh, and then you know rose to the top of the National League throwing uh, what was thought to be a gimmick pitch. And I think that is something that will probably never happen again, which is why I'm so uh, enthralled with it. And um, I also think it, it, was a, it was a big turning point for me as a fan because – when the Dickey trade happened where Dickey went to Toronto and we got Noah Syndergaard and Travis Darno, I was distraught because Dickey had just won Cy Young. He was my favorite player. And then he was gone. And in retrospect, that was a fantastic trade for the Mets. They got a lot of value mm-hmm. out of that. Dickey regressed. He was so good pitcher, but that was definitely a move we needed to make. And when I, when that clicked for me, I was, that was like sort of like me evolving as a baseball fan and understanding the business side of things and the, the trade acquisition side of things. Um, so there's a lot of reasons why R.A. Dickey is my favorite player because it, it it's personal to me as a fan. Um, so that was one of the videos I knew that I wanted to make as soon as I started making videos. I kind of wish I had waited because I think I could have done it better now. But at the same time, I'm very happy with the way it came out. Do you ever think, speaking of that, do you ever like feel like you want to like rework a video or an idea like now because you know you've made so many and you know it's still like these topics you know that you know it's history you know so yeah no i mean there there are a couple that i've uh uploaded early and now have unlisted i won't specify what that i want to return to mm. this offseason and try and redo um but there's also so many ideas that i have on a list that i want to get to as well which i think is the awesome part about this job like i can't wait to get to the next one i can't wait to do that thing next week um one of my favorite parts of the job is on mondays where i pick what i'm going to do that week and it's like fuck i have so many things i want to do about it i gotta save this one and do that and do this so what is that what is that process like like just thinking of like all these events and stuff that happened like are you looking back at like old stats or like old games or like i'm just curious how you just kind of prioritize and kind of come up with these ideas i i i I rarely do current event stuff i've done a a Mm -hmm. few more recently um just like about like the Orioles and guardians. Cause I think those are good stories. Um, but it's kind of as unprofessional as it might sound. It's just vibes. Like whatever I'm kind of feeling that week. Like I have a little sticky note list on my desk and uh, I cross stuff off and I, I look down and I'm like, okay, what, what do we feel like doing this week? And I do a lot of baseball reference perusing and stat head perusing as well, just to figure out anomaly seasons. And if there's anything there, uh, but sometimes it's as simple as somebody mentioning somebody in the office and I go, oh, fuck, I forgot about that guy. And I look him up and there's a great story that just unfolds in front of me. Um, so the pro- the video process itself is concrete. It's structured and I'm very used to it now. But the one part of it that's still open and fluid is the topic choosing, which is probably my favorite part of the whole thing. Is that a walk off home run? Damn, that was a double. Shit. <laughs> yeah. We'll take it. Though. We'll take it. Big double. <laughs> I got a good question. What's your favorite baseball memory in general? Favorite baseball memory in general. Good question. I'm thinking in-person baseball game. Mm-hmm. I went to Francisco. Oh, I have a good one. This happened last year. I went to Francisco Lindor's three home run game. Um, it was, I was probably working at John Boy Media for about a couple months by then. Still didn't really know anyone. Uh, but I went with Jimmy, Jake, BBD, uh, and a couple other John Boy Media employees. Um, the amount that they got recognized and were just talking with fans and interacting with people and taking pictures and stuff, um, I, that's when I kind of knew, like, oh, I want to be able to strike up a conversation about baseball with a random stranger. That sounds amazing. Um, there were, like, a handful of people that kind of knew who I was vaguely, but it was still very early on. Mm-hmm. And then, obviously, the game itself was incredible and, you know, getting to bond with random Mets fans around me and seeing kind of New York New York baseball come back to life a little bit because it had, it had been dormant for yeah. a long time. With You know, Yankees still going to the playoffs, but not really the threat that they used to be. Now I felt like is the, the year that New York baseball kind of leapt back into the spotlight. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, both of those teams have been killers. I mean, Yankees regressed a little bit. 
but you know at the beginning they look like you know the best team in baseball they still might be i don't know they just i never know with them these days so never know i mean as long as aaron judge is healthy i mean that team is freaking stacked who um, the hell knows man <laughs> yeah i don't even I'm know even i gonna... watch them every day they're like two different teams so yeah. like well, i don't know which <laughs> team will get come october we'll have to see how that goes <laughs> i mean i can't even talk as a mariners fan i don't know what the hell is going on at this point um still in the playoff spot Thank God. You know how people would be losing their fucking minds, dude. If it was the old format, oh man, that'd be bad. All I know is that Josh Young is already starting his Mariner Killer narrative, so I absolutely it. hate it, dude. He's got an RBI already tonight, two homers yesterday. Yeah. I'm here for Daniel Lowe was in my last video. He's having a sneaky. Oh, he's had such a year, especially second half. He's had such a year. Rangers are going to be sneaky good next year. They're going to sign some people this offseason. One of At the ground of the rotation, boom. There you go. <laughs> as long as he doesn't go to Atlanta, that's fine. As long as he doesn't go to Atlanta. All well, I, want. I would be remiss if I didn't ask about uh, Jimmy and Jake, dude. Just, like, I'm just curious, like, I mean, they're probably your bosses, you know, but I feel like they probably just give you guys, like, a lot of empowerment to do stuff. And, like, I'm just, like, what, what is it like working with those guys? Because, I mean, I just see it from the outside in, and it's like, they... I they... mean, Jake is as advertised. Yeah. There's no ounce of fakeness to ta to Jake Storielli. He is who he is. What you see on camera is what he is like in person, regardless of the environment. Um, Jimmy is the one of the guys that got me into content creation in the first place. Some of my first videos you may be able to find on my TikTok were really, really shitty Mets breakdowns that I completely copied the model off of breakdowns from Jimmy. Um, and we, we see less of Jimmy these days because he's so, so busy and it's completely understandable why. Mm -hmm. uh, but the one thing I, I always remember about having him as my boss was that at the end of last season, um, he gave me a call out of the blue and I thought it was like some important work matter. And we were talking, and then at the end of the conversation, he was like, yeah, I just want to let you know, uh, you did a great job this year, and I'm really excited to start next year. And I was like, oh, that's really awesome. And then I talked to people the next day, and they were like, did Jimmy call you last night? And I was like, yeah, he called me. And I was like, he called you? He said, yeah, he called you. It turns out that Jimmy had called every single one of his employees to let them know that they did an awesome job and had a specific conversation with each individual, which I thought was really cool because it's still a small company, but that's still 30 to 40 employees that you're taking time out of your day yeah. to call and let them know that you appreciate them and you value what they do to their company. And I think it's really cool to work for somebody like that. And people are going to have their different opinions about Jimmy and that's, that's totally fine. Um, but I know him personally and I can personally vouch that. I think uh, I'm very, very lucky to have a, a, a superior that acts like that. No, I mean, I mean, we, we have, we've worked with our own companies and, we have we've seen basically the exact opposite so you know yeah. it's it's rare for i mean i want to say it's you know 100 percent rare but like yeah i mean especially in the content creator world and like just yeah i mean that's really cool to hear absolutely yeah i mean like keeping like keeping tabs on everyone and like mm. keeping that group a tight-knit group especially like when you're all working together and stuff is a big part of it and saying communicate with everyone often and and all that it's big so i'm 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 glad that's like a, a central part about that like the vibe i've got from you talking about it is how tightly knit everyone is over there and how you all like care about each other and how you're all doing so i think that's a, a very cool thing and a refreshing thing to see yeah space. and the the telling factors that like aside from a couple people who have gone on to greener pastures like keith mcpherson was used to be a part of john media now he does stuff with mlb network and wfn which is awesome but Anybody who's coming to John Boy Media has not wanted to leave. Like anyone who's gotten hired there still works there and it's still a very young company and it's still growing. But I think that the uh it's not the the work that makes people stay, it's the culture of the company and that you're dealing with people that are prioritizing joy and fun over the grind and working and overworking for the sake of profit. Um and who knows what the outlook looks like five years from now because the, the growth is exponential. But at least what I know right now is that the, the company prioritizes the, the health of their employees. And because of that, it continues to run like a well-oiled machine. Yeah, that's super cool, man. Um, yeah, I mean, it's just crazy. Like, it's, it's crazy how, like, the internet just can, like, 
exponentially like you know change people's lives like you know overnight dude and like a simple idea if executed well can just like absolutely change not only their lives but impact so many others at the same time dude so i'm laughing at that a lot for sure it's just cool man so i mean i just i appreciate all your insight man and like it's just been really cool to have you on man so I greatly yeah, appreciate you. you taking your time, man. It means a lot. Great question. It's great discussion. I always love doing stuff like this just to try and give like a little bit of insight. Um, it's always a mixed bag and like, you know, everyone finds their own way. But at the same time, it's really nice to talk to people who are also in this field and have different experiences and can impart different kinds of wisdom onto one another. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of us has, have learned that like it is like impossible to do it on your own. It is yeah. so hard to do it on your own. I mean, you'll lose motivation. You won't know what you're doing wrong. You know, like you need other people to bounce ideas off of. Absolutely. Definitely agree. I'm just curious. And Scan, do you guys, do you guys have anything else? No, nah, I mean, I covered everything I wanted to ask. Yeah, I don't think I have anything else either. Cool. Thanks, guys. Action-packed. Action-packed episode there, like and maybe the most action-packed hour that we've had. Right, yeah, I'm glad I delivered. I felt like I was a little somber there, so I'm glad you guys. Enjoyed <laughs> no, you were great, man. No, I greatly appreciate it. So, um, I think we're gonna head out. Um, but you know, for everyone that have has tuned in today, greatly appreciate all you guys. You guys are catching on the podcast. Appreciate you guys as well. And uh, yeah, we'll catch you guys. I think we'll be live next. We'll all be in person. So. Uh, yeah, that'll be fun. So, uh, yeah, everyone take care and, uh, yeah, we'll see you guys on the next one. Thanks for having me guys. Yeah. Thank you, dude.